Would you pray with me? Lord, we do ask that you would open your word to us by the power of your spirit, that it would transform our hearts and it would transform our actions in your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning again. I will occasionally pause for the large diesel trucks going by so that you can hear and I can hear. I want to tell you a story about love. There is a little boy, about five or six, who loved his mom and his family so much. And one day he declared, I love you, Mommy. And when I grow up, I'm going to marry you. You can't marry your own mother, his older sister said. And so he sat there and thought to himself, and then he exclaimed, well, I'll marry you then. You can't marry me either, his sister said. And he looked confused. And his mom explained, Honey, you can't marry someone in your own family. To which the boy immediately burst into tears, crying out, You mean I have to marry a complete stranger? (laughs) Now, I think that this qualifies as a teachable moment, right? You parents know this. You're looking for the... These moments come up and you know that you have to say something and explain something. It's an opportunity, these teachable moments, to establish how family for this young boy and marriage works. Now here at Holy Cross, we're in our second week of a sermon series called Kingdom Stories, which does just that. These kingdom stories, which are Jesus' parables, are opportunities to establish and teach how the kingdom of God works, what life in the church is like, and how yours and my life in Christ is meant to be lived out in the world. Uh, There's an author named Francis Schaeffer who issued a call to live an authentic biblical Christianity in the world in a book he titled, How Then Shall We Live? And that's the question for us this morning. How then, in light of God's grace to us, are you to live, am I to live, in this world as his disciple? Now, to answer this question with a question, much like Jesus did, did, I'd like to turn to perhaps a a slightly more famous person than Francis Schaeffer. This person is the owner of the best legs in music. It's Stan Taylor. Come on, show us your legs, they're great. Oh, there you go. No, it's not Stan Taylor. The best legs in music. Who do you think they belong to? Tina Turner. Tina Turner. That's right. Uh, little. Uh, what's that? My close second. You, you, you are a close second. That's right. Fun fact: My first concert, real concert, was Lionel Richie and Tina Turner at the Omni in Atlanta in 1984. I was 10 years old, and I was. Uh, I loved Lionel Richie, and so my dad for a great moment, took me there. And I didn't have any idea who Tina Turner was. But she was famous, she famously asked the question, what's love got to do with it, right? And the answer is this. Everything is about love. It's all about love. Just like our sweet boy who wanted to marry his mom, it's all about love. He learned about love in his family. We do this as well, and ultimately, 
that love finds its fulfillment in loving a stranger one day when he gets married. Now, hopefully they won't be a complete stranger at the time, but the same is true in our Christian life. The Bible explains that our self-love, our own interest in ourselves, finds its fulfillment in God's love, God's perfect love, which gives way to purpose in love for our neighbors. There's a theologian named John Stott who wrote that if we love our neighbor as God made him, we must inevitably be concerned for his total welfare, for the good of his soul, for the good of his body, and for the good of his community. So ultimately, love for ourselves, fulfilled in God's love, works itself out by looking after the total welfare of others. And this is the kingdom story that we encounter in Luke's gospel this morning. Luke begins by telling us that a religious lawyer, he would have been Jewish, and he would have been an expert in the scriptures and the Jewish law, and he came up to Jesus to ask him a question. Now, he does have some complicated motivations, which we're not going to go into detail now, but he wanted to test Jesus, and he wanted eventually to justify himself. So he comes up and he asks a fairly important question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I don't know about you, but I think this is a similar question any one of us might ask if we were actually able to encounter Jesus this morning. We would say, well, what's life all about, Jesus? What am I supposed to do? You know, if you were a secular person, you might ask, well, how do I get the most enjoyment out of my life everywhere I go? A Christian person might ask Jesus, what is my purpose here? And a curious or seeking and a not certain person might ask, is there more to life than just this, to this thing that I'm doing right now? And so it is that our lawyer asks, and Jesus responds with a question. Now, since he was the expert on the Jewish law, Jesus asked him, well, what does the law say? And the man correctly answers. He cites Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. That looks comfortable. Uh, you shall, he quotes Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your mind and your heart and your soul and your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. To which Jesus responds, Terrific! Do this and you will live. There's one big problem though. No one actually does this. We love ourselves more than we love God. Much less love our neighbors. And the lawyer, he knows this. So in an attempt to justify himself, he does what all humans do when we get faced with the law. What we do is we try to narrow its requirements so that we could actually meet it, right? Now, I don't know if you've ever done that. Kids, have you ever cleaned your room by shoving all your stuff into your closet? Right? Your room is clean, but your closet is a mess. Parents and kids, have you ever adjusted the font size on your paper in order to meet the minimum requirement? I've done that. Maybe you're at work and it's Friday afternoon and you plow through 30 emails just so that you can say you responded to those things last week, right? 
That's not the point. Just accomplishing it. We try to lower the expectations so that we can actually meet them. And so when it comes to loving our neighbor, there are two ways in which we lower the requirements of the law. We either do what the attorney did, what the lawyer did, by narrowing the definition of neighbor, like it only means my family, or it only means other Christians, or we try to elevate, in this case, ourselves. Jesus tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. We say something like this internally. Clearly God wants me to take care of myself first. How can I love them if I don't love myself? How can I take care of them if I'm a mess? Now friends, there's some truth to that. But it is really a subtle heresy. And it falls apart in light of the story that Jesus tells See, what Jesus is teaching is two things. First, he's teaching us what Christian ethics look like, how we're supposed to live in the world. What we are to do is to actually love our neighbors in real ways. But second, he's showing us that we don't actually do it. We cannot do it in order to earn our, right, earn our way or to meet the righteous demands of the law. At this, we fail. We actually don't do it. And the Apostle Paul will say in Romans 2 that it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So friends, if we don't fulfill the law and we don't meet the ethics of the kingdom, what do we do? Well, we turn to the one who actually does. We turn to Jesus and we learn from him. And it is in this story that Jesus is teaching us about three loves. He's teaching us about our own love for ourselves, self-love. He's talking about God's love, and he's talking about neighbor love. Now, you might be thinking that self-love is bad, right? But secretly, we all have it. It can get a bad rap. But in and of itself, self-love is actually good. When Jesus tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves, he's not actually negating self-love. He's actually elevating it. Do you notice that? You desire your own good. Now, you might have a distorted view of what your own good looks like and what it means. You might lean towards self-indulgence. But ultimately, God made you. He loves you, and He, in fact, wants you to be happy and blessed. Paul will write in Ephesians, No man ever hates his own flesh, but he actually nourishes it and cherishes it. So it makes us ask the question, what is it that actually makes us happy? What nourishes us? Is it bigger homes? More comfort? Better and more leisure? more security, these are all things that I like. I like all of those things. But the truth is, is that none of those things will actually make us happy. Because the person who dies with the most toys and the biggest bank account still dies. So if you love yourself, if you want your needs met, 
If you want ultimate security, if you want comfort in challenging times like we're in today, if you want to walk around with true joy, the thing that you and I need most is God. We need God. Everybody needs God. And so our self-love in all its best ways is actually fulfilled by God's love. His love is perfect. His love is sacrificial. His love is not constrained, limited, or conditioned on our behavior. His love is demonstrated. His love is demonstrated in His Son Jesus, who gave up His heavenly home to come down for you. He gave up His righteous throne for the hardwood of the cross, right? He didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but took the form of a servant. He came to serve and to give His life as a ransom for you and for me. And so if you love yourself, you truly love yourself, you'll respond to Jesus in faith and find abundant and eternal life. You see, self-love finds its fulfillment in God's perfect love. But it doesn't stop there. And this is the point of the story. It finds its purpose in loving your neighbor. See, Jesus affirms the second commandment. We read it every uh, week at the beginning of the service uh, that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. When you love God with all your heart, and with all your mind, your soul, your strength, you will want to love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you love yourself enough to come to Christ and to know His perfect and good will and desire for you, you will know that it is His perfect and good will and desire for everybody. For everyone. You will love your neighbor enough to help them come to Christ. Uh, Modern theologian John Mayer, you know him, the musician, he's saying, love is a verb. It ain't a thing. When you show me love, I don't need your words. you got to show me, show me, show me that love is a verb. Now, older and slightly less known theologian John Stott went on to say, to love our neighbor means to do good. That is, to give ourselves actively and constructively to our neighbor's welfare. And we see this in today's parable. We don't see it in the people you would expect it. You don't see it come from the priest, right? He crosses over and walks away. We don't see it with the Levite, the musical leader, who crosses the street and walks away. We're in the same boat. Um, Yeah, I'm picking on you today. Uh, Jonathan started it last week. Um, We don't see it in the people that we would expect it. We see it from the Samaritan, who is showing what it meant to be a neighbor to somebody else. Right? He's not the one you'd expect to be the neighbor, but he is. And what are the things that he does? Well, he's not concerned with his own cleanliness, and so he will go and perhaps touch a dead body. He gives up his time to stop and to help, right? He creates a bandage, which is likely done by tearing the expensive clothes that he's wearing so that he could bind up the wounds. He uses his resources, his oil and his wine, to make a medication. He puts the man on his donkey and troubles himself to walk 
down to Jericho, he enters a town that is not kind to Samaritans, where his enemies, it is not safe for him to enter, and he puts him up in the inn, and he pays for the innkeeper to take care of the man. And then he promises at the end to do more if it's necessary. See, that's what is meant to actively and constructively be a neighbor to someone else, to love someone else. In short, the Samaritan, he uses everything he has for someone he has never met and for someone who is his most bitter enemy because that's how it was between Jews and Samaritans. They hated each other. But he, seeing a man in need, had compassion and did all of these things. And I wonder this morning, what would it mean for you to love your most bitter enemy. In a time when our world is most divided, most bitterly divided, what would it mean to do these things? What would it mean to do these things for a Republican or a Democrat? What would it mean to do these things for somebody who's protesting? What would it mean to do these things for somebody who takes advantage of uh, uh, social welfare systems, perhaps. See, Jesus doesn't give us a qualification for that. Jesus says, you will love your neighbor as yourself. That's the outworking of the gospel. The Samaritan didn't ask, are you worthy of my help? Have you taken advantage of other things? Did you waste your money on flat screen TVs and partying or whatever? Did you? He didn't ask any of those things. No, he gave his help. What would it mean for us to love the people that we think are most unlovable? The Apostle James in our first reading this morning said that faith not accompanied by action is useless and dead. It is all about love and action. And so our challenge is, is how do we become people who live love as an action, love as a verb? Well, the good news is that God gives us an example in his son Jesus, and he gives us his Holy Spirit to help us. Preacher John Piper wrote that one way we can do this is to make the measure of our own self-seeking the measure of our self-giving means in the same way that we seek our own welfare and we spend our own resources at a bare minimum are ways in which we should seek the welfare of somebody else and to use our resources for them. So this week when you're at the grocery store and you are uh, you are exercising bountiful bountiful provision, right? That's hard to say. When you are spending your money on lots of food, remember that there are people who don't have lots of food and to actually then make a way for you to feed somebody in need. That's one way. If you are experiencing the need for God's compassion in the midst of hard times, then actively find someone who is likewise in need of compassion and demonstrate it to them through real ways, tangible ways. If you enjoy the riches of God's real abundant personal friendship through thick and thin, then find someone who is lonely. I know that's hard in today's world right now, but find someone who is lonely and extend friendship through thick and thin to them. 
And I want to encourage you to start today, this afternoon, by thinking about those people that you find most lovable and then asking God to help you be a neighbor to them. And then to actually move out and to do real things for them. Because that's the life of discipleship. That's what it means to be a part of the family of God. It is not just about me. It is about others. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that you would help us to love those that we find most unlovable. Lord, would you transform our hearts from people who try to get away from that and who pour ourselves into that. Not just our words, but our time and our things and our money and our friendship. Lord, would you use us to love our neighbors and we would see your kingdom grow because of that. In Jesus' name, amen.